This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, September 16th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And we enter today's market uh, with some crazy news. The There was a suspected attack on Saudi oil production by Iran, uh, and it took about the, the price of oil up about 5%, actually more than that, over 14%, I'm sorry. It took 5% of the world's oil offline that caused the spike in oil, and this is just one more set of news that will impact global economies, global markets, and only time will tell whether this is something that sparks maybe a bigger conflict, more problems in the oil market, more problems economically, or it's just a one-off blip and they get back online rather quickly and everyone looks past this and maybe they blame it on something else, who knows? So, there's a lot of variables at play, and you are probably here for some unbiased guidance, and you've come to the right place, if that's the case. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you will call me with your investing questions during this hour. And if you do make that call, you can shape this show to your advantage, and we're going to help you make your next step in your path towards your personal journey towards financial freedom. And we're going to do that each and every weekday with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. Once again, this is not CNBC. I am not Kramer. I'm not here to make outlandish comments. Uh, Of course, we want to entertain. That's really what Kramer is all about. Uh, But we also want to give you some perspective and information and data that can shape your decision-making process over time so that you can make the best decisions for you in your particular situation. Now, once again, you can call our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. I urge everyone to get their call in sooner rather than later. The hour tends to go by quick. There is a quick reminder about an upcoming Best Talk event. Steve will be in New York City this week to conduct no-cost portfolio reviews. He's all full up. Uh, He'll be back in November. So if you do want to uh, meet with him in New York City, he will be back there in November. So check the Invest Talk website for dates and times. Also, October 12th, a little less than a month away, we'll be doing our next KP Wealth Conference in Irvine, California at our headquarters. October 12th, once again, It'll be from 9 a.m. to noon, and the title of the conference is Earning Yield in a No-Yield World, Investing in Real Estate, Stocks, and Bonds for Income. I know there's a lot of income-thirsty investors out there, and it's difficult to make sure that you are investing for income, but not taking so much risk that you are putting your principal in a lot of peril. You're always going to take some level of risk, but you want to take the appropriate amount. So we're going to discuss that and what makes sense for everybody depending on their particular situation. So Steve and I are going to lead the conference. We have a couple of real estate experts as well as trust attorney there that will help guide you as well. Once again, that's Saturday, October 12th. Now, my main talking point today centers around the headline, Analyst Reports the Global Economic 
sorry, the global economy slumps when oil prices spike. So we saw a spike in oil prices, and the big question is what type of impact will it have on the economy overall? We're going to get to that as well. Also, junk debt. Junk debt is sending a little bit of a warning signal over the past couple weeks as yields overall have risen on the 10-year treasury, the two-year treasury note, just to really across the board in the sovereign debt space, yields have gone up, but also in some areas of the junk market, which could be sending a signal, which we're going to talk about. Also, value versus growth. We've, we've talked about the dichotomy and how growth for many, many years now has outperformed value until the last couple of weeks. And it's been pretty dramatic, the, the, the change and the move. And the big question is, is this the start of something more long-term or just a one-off blip? We're going to discuss that. And then lastly, your parents' financial advice. Maybe it's uh, it's not as accurate as you would hope it to be. Uh, and we're going to touch on that if we have time as well. But let's go to our first caller, John in Fremont. He's looking at EFX, which I believe is Equifax. Yeah. Listen, the great show, thank you. No problem. I, I actually, yeah, I have uh, options, call options. Uh, the site price is 120 and they expire in January. I'm trying to see should I sell now or wait? Uh, I would sell. Uh, this does not look very strong technically this near term. Uh, and long term, it's had a little bit of a run. It's up into longer term resistance, right around this. Bringing up the chart here, uh, around this 140, 150 range where it was in July of 2017, and you had a big sell off late that year. And we've been trying to recover it, and it did. It recovered finally the last couple weeks, uh, but started to sell off last week pretty hard uh, and on pretty decent volume. So, and I'm looking at the fundamentals. Equifax, they organize, manage credit, financial, public records, marketing, and demographic information. So it's they make money when more people are taking out loans, especially individuals, the consumer side of the space. Uh, and it's a P ratio of 26, and revenue was flat year over year, and earnings were down 10% year over year last quarter. So from a evaluation perspective, this is very low growth to no growth, actually, and relatively high valuation when it comes to uh, its multiples and its EBITDA, which is actually negative. Uh, it looks expensive to me. Technically, it looks like it's starting to roll over. So I expect this to actually head down and probably below your strike price of 120 between now and January. So I would definitely sell it. Move on. It sounds like you have a profit, right? Yes. Okay, I would take your profit and go. I think you're, you, it's, it's long in the tooth, and I think there's a lot more downside here between now and January as opposed to upside. So I would definitely take your calls off the table. Thanks for the call, John. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to thank you for, your, for making this program a part of your routine each and every weekday. Steve and I do our best to make it entertaining and most importantly, instructive for you. And whenever you have investment questions, I encourage you to explore our podcast library. You can search, listen, subscribe, and then rate the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart. This is Invest Talk, and September is moving fast. In only three days, 
Steve Peasley will be meeting with listeners in New York City to show them how they could improve the performance of their portfolios. And he's added a return visit date for New York, November 7th. Learn more and register for your no-cost portfolio review now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin invite your questions. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. We have about 40 minutes left in the show, so I urge you get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, let's take a quick look at some key benchmarks. The two-year treasury yield was down a tick, 1.765%. The 10-year treasury rate also down to 1.41 at the close today. So a modest retrace of rates after a pretty big surge last week. I mean, the 10-year Treasury start, ended the prior week at 1.55 or so and ended last week at 1.90. So talking about almost a 45 basis point move in the span of a week. And the big question is what changed? And I think the, the most obvious answer is the ECB and what they spoke about in regards to, you know, are they going to continue with more fiscal policy, sorry, monetary policy in lieu of fiscal policies, which they spoke about a lot, right? saying governments need to pick up the pace with their fiscal stimulus. Basically saying, you got to print more money. You got you to gotta spend more money. We'll help you print more money. We'll do QE. We'll monetize the debt, right? Because they're doing QE again. Probably something similar that's going to happen here in America. And the big question is, does the Fed pivot that way as well? Saying, hey, we need more fiscal help. We can't just continue to ease and ease and ease, drop uh, the, the borrowing rate, and expect that to really juice the economy because maybe they're trying to refocus overall policy onto the everyday American as opposed to lowering interest rates really affects banks, really affects those who have assets, right? Real estate, stocks, bonds, etc. Those are the ones that benefit the most from lower rates. But if you do fiscal stimulus of some type, it typically helps the average worker, the average citizen more often. And maybe that's why you're getting a rise in populism throughout the world. And maybe they're starting to see that. And maybe that's why rates started to tick up. So that's my explanation so far. Other explanation could be, oh, the economy is going to reaccelerate, right? Because of all this easing uh, from central banks worldwide. And that is likely going to be the reason why rates are going to go higher is because the Fed or the central banks are going to have to continue to ease too much more because they've done enough to really juice the economy higher. I don't know if I really buy that story yet. There have been some decent economic numbers out, but nothing to really change my view that we are in a slowing economy. Uh, but this is still yet to be seen. Uh, certainly going to continue to evaluate it and keep you guys updated on what we see as the market unfolds. Now, gold was de- up slightly on this news. Clearly, any geopolitical problems are going to create some safe haven buying into treasuries like we talked about with yields down as well as into gold. Oil up about 12% the close today, 61.63 on that news. Uh, we're going to talk about in a little bit on whether or not that's actually going to fuel uh, a recession because of higher oil prices. Let's go to John in Santa Cruz. He's looking at Philip Morris. Yes. Hi, Justin. Um, yes. Uh, I'm interested in 
and Philip Morris uh, as a long-term buy. Um, I've been watching it for a while. Um, I wanted to know if you think this is a good price to buy at. Uh, I do. I do think this is a good, good place to buy it. It's uh, down near uh, the 52-week lows. On a, if you go to a, a weekly or a monthly chart, it's definitely uh, near some longer-term support. Now, you know, if it breaks the low from uh, earlier last year, about $65 a share, I might have a change of heart. But I, I do think that it will hold that level because of the valuation, the cash flow. They tend to rebuy a lot of their shares that will likely support uh, su- support their business or short support the stock and they have fairly uh, minimal debt in relation to the size of the business and their revenues and their cash flows so uh, i see a lot of value here on philip morris so if uh, you know the, the i don't see a lot of growth for the dividend of 6.4 percent because they are kind of up against their payout ratios cash dividend payout ratios etc about 90 percent or so which is rather high but i do think from a value perspective it is at a good value Great, great. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for the call, John. That was Philip Morris, PM. We do own that for some of our clients in one of our managed accounts. So just kind of a heads up there. 888 chart, 888 that's, that's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's quickly pivot to oil prices. Oil prices were up, like I said, 12%. And we're not going to know yet. <laughs> We're not going to know for a little while until this is a one. If this is a one-off spike, remember we had the uh, Americans or sorry, the Iranians apparently shot down an American drone, and that caused some potential uprising and potential war between us and Iran. Now it's potential war between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and President Trump has pled or pledged, excuse me, our military to support them in the fight if they wanted to go there. So it's going to be very interesting to see if this is something prolonged or a one-off blip. But typically, the a rise in oil prices only triggers a recession when it's a double, a, a 100% increase in the price of oil year over year. And actually, we're still down. Even after this jump, we're still down from oil where oil prices were a year ago. So I really don't think this in and of itself is going to create any type of a recession. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to hear from you. Give me a call at 888 99Chart. We have some important calendar dates for you. First, Steve Peasley is taking reservations for his no cost portfolio reviews. The next availability will be October 10th in San Jose and then November 7th in New York City. And the next KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference will be held in Irvine, California on October 12th. That is a Saturday. You can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Now, the United Auto Workers Union has called a strike against General Motors, and that pushed GM shares down about 3%, but you had Ford lower, some of the other automakers lower. And the big question is, what do the strikers want? Well, higher wages for one, and a relief from higher medical costs. Now, 
GM pays about $63 per hour on average to their workers when it comes to wages and benefits. So you're talking about 401k, profit sharing, health care, as well as wages as well. So labor is only about 10 to 15% of the cost of building a car. So it's not huge, but certainly impactful, especially when you consider their gross margins are anywhere from 10 to 13%, depending on what year you look at. Obviously, it fluctuates from year to year. And they've reduced their employee account. When I'm talking about they, I'm talking about General Motors, already from 225,000 to 175,000 workers. So maybe they're saying, well, you might be paying us around the same, but we're doing more with less workers, right? So each individual should get compensated for that lack of, for, for more doing more work, taking a more responsibility, etc. And GM has some of the highest margins in the industry, at least right now. GM's gross margins, sorry, Ford's GM, uh, Ford's gross margins were only two percent. So you can see that dichotomy. And they earn, GM earns about $8 billion in profits each year. And they have about $20 billion in the bank. So as typical, unions are going to push for their members to earn more. And they see a honeypot of wealth and cash flow and profits that GM has. And saying, well, this is on the backs of our workers. And we want us bigger slice of the pie. Not shocking. Wage growth, wage acceleration has actually increased over the past year or so. And typically that's actually common going into a recession. A lot of times that will trigger a recession because what happens is companies see see that and that higher cost becomes a weight on their profitability, right? So even if they're labor costs are a small percentage of the total cost of their business. When that starts to accelerate, what do they, what do leaders, CFOs, what do they tend to do? Well, they tend to pause hiring and then eventually lay off workers as profits tend to shrink. And that eventually triggers a recession. So not a shock here when it comes to the UAW because they want to get their worker compensation inflation up to what the rest of the market is doing, which is now a little over 3%, 3.5% on average. Now, JP Morgan is one of the largest gold traders in the world. But did you see this? JP Morgan traders have been charged by U.S. authorities with rigging the metals market. Two current and one former JP Morgan executives were charged over allegedly participating in market manipulation in the trade of precious metals, including gold, silver, platinum, and plating between 2008 and 2016. What's interesting is 2016 was when the start of the bull market happened recently uh, in gold and silver, really started that year. And Maybe this was in conjunction with them stopping manipulating uh, the metals market. I think that was pretty interesting news that isn't talked about very much in the mainstream media. The men were charged with racketeering and other federal crimes, and J.P. Morgan declined to comment. It's not a shocker there. Now, in the grocery sector, Walmart is the leader, but there's another big name, Kroger's. They operate over 200, sorry, 2,700 supermarkets and multi-department stores in the United. It's the largest supermarket chain by revenue in the United States, $115 billion. 
in fiscal 2016, the second largest general retailer behind Walmart, and the 17th largest company in the United States. So it's definitely not small, and their earnings were better than expected, but overall revenue came in lighter than expected. So there was initial pop in Kroger stock, but ended slightly down. This is a good example of it rallied. It's already rallied from the low 20s into about the 26th level upon earnings announcement. And even though earnings were good, it already rallied into it. So the expectations were priced in, so you didn't get a big pop. But overall, this has been one of those names that has turned, the value side of the market that has turned in relation to growth. And it's not a shocker. It's kind of your bread and butter business. Not an exciting name, and in this market so far, over the last three, four weeks now, unexciting names have definitely beat out the exciting names. Now, on tomorrow's Invest Talk, so far, China has been restrained in its tariff retaliation, but investors should not underestimate its ability to endure and deliver economic pain. China's unplayed Trump card, that story is going to be tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you. I invite your finance and investing questions now at 888-99-CHART. The time is now. And if you act now, the benefit to your financial future could be measurably significant. This is your chance to sharpen your investing skills through a valuable online classroom learning opportunity. InvestTalk Academy. Enrollment in InvestTalk Academy will introduce you to a weekly series of live investing classes conducted by KPP Financial Principals and InvestTalk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. You'll profit from a critical degree of focused mentoring led by Steve and Justin. Hear their full analysis of the market. Follow along with charts and data points. Understand technical and fundamental analysis. Develop the mindset to become a successful investor. InvestTalk Academy offers an unprecedented value for serious investors. Register now at InvestTalkAcademy.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon. My name is Jeff. I love the show. Had a question that I was hoping that you all could answer during one of the upcoming programs. Wanted to understand a bit more about automated indexes and if there were any that you could recommend. Had uh, read an article recently about Warren Buffett describing that machine-managed investment is a better bet, and it talked significantly about using more of those automated indexes you know, from a low-cost and, and easy management perspective, and would love to hear you know, your thoughts around that. Thank you. I believe what he's talking about is automated indexing, not indexes, because uh, indexing is simply buying up indexes, right? S&P, 500, NASDAQ, IFA, emerging markets, total bond market index, etc. Right? And there's a lot of the robo-advisors that are out there, you know, the betterments of the world. And that's their end job is to help 
individuals index based on maybe their risk tolerance, maybe their life goals, uh, usually not their life goals, really just their, their risk tolerance and you typically use their age uh, to define how risky they should be. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of that. That's one of my biggest problems is everyone, you know, two 40-year-olds are, are not always exactly alike. Oftentimes, they're very different in their risk tolerance, their goals, the amount of money they have, the amount of money they're making, the amount of money they've saved, etc. often changes that equation. So, that worries me first off, uh, is what are they allocating towards, right? Is that accurate? Second, indexing uh, is the best part of indexing is low cost. And you certainly should be considering the costs of any investment strategy. But it's not the end all be all of your decision making process as well, even though that's pretty much what these automated indexing programs are doing, right? Is they're just looking to diversify you maybe among all the, a lot of different indexes with low cost. Etc. And I firmly believe we are an indexing bubble, very similar to where we were in the late 60s. It was, uh, it was a fad called the Nifty 50, where you would just buy these 50 blue chip names and then you don't worry about it, right? Well, that led to one of the worst recessions, or worst bear markets, excuse me, in the early 70s, one that all kind of came unwound when all these people who thought this was a safe investment saw a recession and saw a bear market, it created a flood of sellers trying to get out the same door. And I see a similar thing happening when we do go into the next protracted bear market is all these people who did sign up for Betterment and and these robo-advising services are not understanding the level of risk that's involved. And many people can say, oh, I can handle 30, 40% downside in the market. Not a big deal. I know it's always going to come back. Well, easier said than done. You know, when you see the value of your portfolio dropping 15, 20, 30% in a year, most people are ill equipped emotionally to deal with that type of loss. And more often than not, will sell and end the pain as opposed to hold through it. And what that will do will amplify the losses because everyone, once again, is trying to get out that door of indexing. And so while I see some merits of that process, I think it is deeply flawed in a lot of ways, Uh, especially when you're looking at indexing on the bond side, because typically indexing on the bond part of the market doesn't work nearly as well. And even in small cap investing, small cap index funds don't outperform actively invested small cap funds nearly as much as in the large cap space. So just to blanket index your whole portfolio, to me, uh, is a flawed strategy. I don't think you should avoid indexing at all costs by any means, but it's certainly not the panacea that the fund companies want you to believe it is. Thanks for the call. Great question, especially in light of today's market environment. Now let's talk a little bit about the junk bond market. And with the rise in yields, talking about treasury yields over the past few weeks, 
you're starting to see signs in the junk debt market that investors are worried that companies with high debt loads may default in the coming recession or even if the economy avoids a recession there still could be an increase in defaults now forecasting a down down draft in the corporate debt markets has been tricky in light of the financial crisis or since the financial crisis as every time there's been dislocations in the credit markets well the fed comes in lowers rates does qe etc and this has helped a lot of these riskier companies to borrow more money and stay afloat and continue to refinance the debt that comes due and kept default rates unusually low for an unusually long length of time. But just recently, bond specialists are doing something interesting. They are selling out of the triple C rated debt, meaning the worst of the junk market, and buying up the best of the junk market, the double B. So this change in the way the investors in the market are trading has put the risk in the high-yield bond market at its highest level since 2016, and that was in the heart of a sharp, sharp drop in oil prices, natural gas prices. Remember that a few years ago? Some defaults in the energy sector as oil hit 30 something dollars a barrel, and that killed a lot of shale names that were heavily indebted. So the U.S. distress ratio, which is the proportion of junk bonds that yield more than 10 percentage points above Treasury. So Treasury is 10-year now, uh, one point, what are we at? Look this up real quick, 1.84. So anything that's yielding roughly 12% or higher would be considered distressed, Okay. That jumped to 9.4% of the market, and that was only 6% back in July. So you can see that proportion has gone up more than 50%. Now the worry clearly is is that declining earnings and these rising debt loads are weighing on their credit quality and their access to fresh capital. Remember, that's almost as important as earnings. Even if earnings don't decline too much, stay the same for these companies, oftentimes just the fact that they can't access the market, uh, the, the liquid market, they can't roll the debt that comes, uh, that's coming due, that creates defaults. So earnings in this market, or sorry, liquidity in the debt markets is just as important as earnings and you're seeing a big change in the sentiment around a lot of those things. Now, $6 billion have been pulled from mutual funds and ETFs that buy high-yield bonds and leverage loans, and about $20 billion have been put into investment-grade corporate bonds in the six weeks ending September 11th, according to Lipper. So clearly, there's been an exodus from junk bonds and into higher-quality loans, higher-quality bonds, and that shouldn't shock any anyone. Now, about one quarter of borrowers in the leveraged loan market cut pricing during their marketing process in August. So when they were coming to market with some of their, their loans, that's up from 20% in July and 17% in, in June. So clearly the buyers of these loans are getting more weary. 
So pretty interesting development there. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. Now, I think it's safe to assume that you are serious about investing and growing your wealth. That's why you're here. And managing the emotions of investing always is the toughest part. Fear comes from risk perception. So my advice with dealing with the reality is to define your maybe comfort zone. And you can do that with our free online tool at investtalk.com. It's called Riskalyze. It's a risk questionnaire. You can check it out, give you a score of 1 to 99, and then you can calibrate it with your own particular portfolio to see if you're invested correctly. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. For serious investors interested in improving their ability to build financial freedom, we have an important invitation to a new KPP Wealth Management Conference. Earning yield in a no-yield world. Investing in real estate, stocks, and bonds. Speakers will include InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, and they'll be joined by real estate experts and a trust attorney. The October 12th conference in Irvine, California, will cover these topics. Understanding real estate investing, from buy and hold to vacation rentals and land banking. How the trade war and economic trends will affect stocks and bonds. Ways to increase your income potential and defer taxes using trusts. And a lot more. Seating is limited to 50 attendees. Sign up early to get reduced pricing. Tell your friends the newest KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference is set for October 12th. Learn more and sign up now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, uh, Jim from Indiana was calling you today about EWZ. It's a Brazilian ETF tracking the Brazilian market. Looks like we might be coming off of a triple bottom. I'm wondering what your thoughts on a, what a good opportunity would be to get in on this or if I should just run for the hills and find something better to do. Thanks so much. Appreciate everything you guys do. Have a good one. All right, he's looking at EWZ. This is the iShares MSCI Brazil ETF, one of the biggest ETFs in relation to the Brazilian market in the marketplace. And I like that. I like that it's fairly liquid. Now, it's come down a lot and been a, a clear downtrend ever since, really the high in the market in 2008. And it never really recovered. You know, found a bottom in 2009 around uh, $30 a share, rallied to 70 and hit a new low in 2015, 16 of about $20 a share. Now we're at 42.35, kind of bouncing around here. Now, technically, it looks fairly good on a monthly basis. It's been consolidating right below the 100-day moving average and actually closed a couple months ago above the 100-day. It's kind of been flirting with that. And when I say 100-day, I mean 100-month moving average. And that's a positive that it keeps bumping up against it. Anytime you bump up against major resistance levels for a long enough period of time, you're probably gaining energy and steam to break out to the upside. So technically, I kind of like it. Okay. Now, my biggest worry here is geopolitically and politically with Brazil. Uh, They uh, have a lot of different 
political parties that are vying for power. Uh, there's continued problems uh, with uh, a lot of corruption within that country. And I don't know if that's really going away. And that will be a permanent, not I say permanent, but a continued drag on the economy as a whole if the political problems persist. And they don't seem to be going away right now, but they could be on their way, right? I think they have a new have had a new president over the last uh, year or so. I'm not super up on the Brazilian uh, g- uh, political situation, but I know there's been a lot of unrest, so that worries me the most. Now it's a it's a commodity driven economy. Oil, uh, Petrobras is a big driver uh, of their economy, and South America is notoriously problematic from a political geopolitical situation. So. You have to understand there's going to be a lot of volatility in relation to the politics, in relation to oil. Uh, but from a value perspective, I do think the emerging markets overall have the best value in the marketplace. So if you don't have any emerging markets, I don't mind the allocation there. Let's go to Bruce in Fresno looking at GLPI, which is Gaming and Leisure Properties. It's a REIT, correct? Right. Just wondering if okay. what do you think about maintaining the uh, dividend on that? Well, REITs are always a little difficult to determine the strength of the dividend because they have to pay out a high percentage of their cash flows, 80% or higher. And this is right at that. 80.86% is their cash dividend payout ratio. So they, they're, they're not paying out much higher than that, meaning that it sounds like they're paying out the minimum amount possible to maintain their REIT status. So I like that from a sustainability standpoint that that 7% can be sustained. Now, my biggest problem here is that they are clearly focused on gaming and leisure, which is one of the most cyclical areas of the marketplace, right? Right. So that is my worry, not from a, 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 a financial perspective, they seem fine. Their revenues are up 14% year over year, earnings up 9% year over year, or uh, funds from operation up 9% year over year. That's a positive. A modest amount of debt uh, in relation to their revenue. So I'm not too worried about that, especially for REITs. There tends to be some debt there. Uh, I worry most about the cyclicality of their business and potential downside there. But in the current financial situation, I think that dividend is sustainable. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own personal version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. We're going into the last segment. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 chart On the next Invest Talk, China has been restrained with its tariff retaliation so far, but investors should not underestimate its ability to endure and deliver economic pain. China's unplayed trump card tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin 888-99-CHART. Hi Steve, hi Justin. I had a question regarding a stock Navient. And ABI, everything seems solid. There's a number one rating by Zach, but why does it keep coming down? I look forward to the answer on the next podcast. Thanks. 
All right. Looking at Navient Corporation, they provide loan management servicing and asset recovery services mainly to the student loan market. And I think that's the biggest worry here. It, there, there's a lot of political talk in Washington, especially if we get a Democrat in the White House uh, next time around, that they will wipe out student debt, right? And saying, just forgive it all. And, you know, it's a bad system. Things need to change, blah, 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 blah. How did I, whatever, whatever reasoning you want to put behind it. There's a lot of talk. And if that's the case, what happens to Navient? What happens to all those loans that they were servicing, right? They get a cut of each payment that they they get. And if it's all wiped out, what happens to their business? And that's the big worry here with Navient. The fundamentals look fairly good, fairly cheap, decent dividend, sustainable dividend based on current cash flows. And what happens in the next recession? Maybe it isn't, even if it isn't wiped out. There's already a huge amount of outstanding student loans that are now being defaulted on. Trillions of dollars. I think it's something like two trillion. What happens? Does that go to four, five, ten? What does that go to? And is there a political narrative behind that? So that's the biggest worry here with Navient, and that's why you continue to see it drop, even though their business looks solid. Now let's talk quickly about the change in the market over the past few weeks, and that's been the rebound of value stocks and out of growth stocks. And on the surface, last week, you saw the S&P barely move, but underneath the surface, there was an extraordinary change and the biggest rotation out of high momentum stocks and into cheap value stocks since the 2008 bank bailout. Now, what's interesting is also the last time this happened was before the financial crisis was 2000. Remember I said this feels like March 2000? There were three spikes of this magnitude of out of growth stocks, out of momentum stocks and into value stocks. And one was late 99. That was the biggest actually. That was the harbinger of things to come. And then... March and then June of 2000 is when there was a big, big dichotomy between the performance of value stocks versus growth stocks. And there are two really thought processes in relation to what happened. Now, one is that The wave of technological change that's been underway over the past decade or so has divided the disruptors to from the disrupted who haven't been able to keep up. And low, low interest rates have allowed those companies to continue to borrow money, to sustain losses or lack of profitability in the search for disrupting whatever industry that they're in. You know, think of the Teslas of the world, the Ubers of the world, the WeWorks of the world, and maybe WeWork is that first victim of a new market, 
where cash flows matter more than ideas, than simply innovation for the sake of innovation. And there's a lot of companies like that, right? That they're in business to innovate, not in business to make a profit, right? It's kind of like, that's what Tesla is, right? It's not in business to make a profit. Clearly it's not sustainable, but their goal is to innovate. So has that change occurred? We'll continue to monitor it and keep you updated. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Steve will be back here tomorrow. And remember, you will be meeting with Invest Talk listeners in New York City this Thursday and Friday. And I'll be there the rest of the week. Good night. of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.